uh, it just said on the screen my mic is muted. Hopefully it isn't. Um, oh, I guess it isn't. Everyone can hear me. My name's Lou Eisen. Welcome to Ring Talk. Today we're going to uh, discuss the one of the most controversial fights of all time that took place on April 6, uh, 1987. The uh, World WBC World Middleweight title fight between Sugar Ray Leonard and the reigning champion, Marvelous Marvin Hagler. I live in Toronto and I went to see the fight. And I sort of was in an interesting position seeing the fight at close circuit at Toronto's Maple Leaf Gardens because I was friends with, uh, very close with Angelo Dundee and a new Ray Leonard, but I was also a big Hagler fan. And this fight today that we're going to discuss is one of the most contentious things you can discuss with ring fans around the world in professional boxing. When you discuss Hagler Leonard, everyone has an opinion. Nobody's neutral. And the best way to get your friends to walk out on you or to start an argument or to get very angry is to say who you thought won. Suffice it to say, many, many people believe that marvelous Marvin Hagler won the fight and retained his crown. But there were so many things we're going to discuss that went into what actually happened during the fight and before the fight that affected the outcome of the fight. Let's start with both fights. First of all, Ray Leonard, uh, who grew up who grew up in uh, Maryland, uh, was an Olympic champion. He was a gold medalist. He won the gold medal for the United States in, in uh, 1976 at the Montreal Olympics with the picture, the famous picture of his son, Ray Jr on his uh, boxing shoes. And he was well loved by everyone in Montreal and around the world. He was a great looking fighter, charismatic. He could do it all. Tremendous hand speed, tremendous foot movement. And uh, Leonard said once that uh, when he was in the uh, dress room before the fights, he heard people talking about how he wouldn't have a chance against the Cuban fighters. And he just annihilated the Cuban fighters. He was so good and so skilled. He went through, he won the gold medal, and he said he was going to retire after, which I don't really believe that was true, and go to university. He didn't. He got offers to fight professionally. He had to, you know, to support his family, a lot of people depending on him. And he was able to get, in my opinion, the best trainer ever in the history of boxing, Angelo Dundee, who had taken Muhammad Ali to the undisputed world heavyweight title, and many other champions, uh, he'd taken Carmen Basilio to the world welterweight title. He'd taken Luis Rodriguez to the world welterweight title. He'd taken Sugar Ramos to the featherweight title. And he took a lot of fighters to undisputed world titles. And when Angelo trained guys, this, this was basically in the era where there were only eight weight divisions, eight champions. That was it. So Angelo knew what he was doing. Angelo was probably the best trainer in the history of the sport when it came to matching young fighters building them up on the way up. And that is certainly a ring skill. So Leonard got matched with guys that he could probably beat, but that weren't going to be pushovers. Guys that he could fight and learn from and would give him a tough time at times. But he would still overcome that. And in the process, not only win, he would raise his profile, but also raise his level of ring skills. Hagler never had that. Hagler was born in Newark, New Jersey, and his mother took him to Boston during the riots in 1969. And he went there with his siblings. He was the oldest of five siblings. Hagler fought his first professional fight. He won an AAU, excuse me, middleweight title, and he turned pro immediately. 
within several days of winning the title because he had to support his family. And for his pro debut, where he knocked out Terry Ryan in two rounds in a gym in a high school in Boston, he got $40. That's right. That's how much Marvin Hagler got. For his um, professional debut in 1977, Ray Leonard on CBS's show Sports Spectacular was given 50 grand to win a six-round decision over Luis the Bull Vega. And with that money, he was able to retire his father. Can't retire anyone $40. Hagler wasn't brought along carefully. He was trained and managed by the Prettinelli brothers. And when Hagler started, Joe Frazier, the former undisputed world heavyweight champion, who adored Hagler, said to him, you have three major strikes against you. You're good, you're black, and you're a Southpaw. Now, Hagler being a Southpaw has been an issue of debate for many years. We'll, we'll touch on that in a few seconds. Hagler was thrown into the deep end. Hagler fought a lot of his early fights in Philadelphia. And Philadelphia is a breeding ground for absolutely incredible prize fighters going back 200 years. I mean, they've produced world champions in heavyweight divisions, multiple world champions in heavyweight divisions. And as they say in boxing, there's tough, there's super tough, and then there's Philadelphia tough. And Philadelphia ring wars in the gyms when people were training were as tough and brutal often as professional fights. So when Hagler started out, he went to Philadelphia and that's where he could get fights. And he didn't have the choice of fighting guys that, you know, that he could easily beat or he would learn from them, certainly. But Hagler was put in against the best middleweights there were. You know, his first two losses, uh, which were debatable, he lost to, uh, Bobby Bugalo Watts, and he lost to Willie the Worm Monroe. But Hagler shared something with Lewis, the great Joe Lewis. He was deadly in the rematches. So after he lost to Monroe, fought him twice more, knocked him out in 12 rounds, and then fought him again, knocked him out in two rounds. And he did the same thing to Bugalo Watts and to the former 1972 Olympic champion, Sugar Ray Seals, after, I believe, getting a draw with him. And then after fighting him again, knocking him out and then fighting him a third time and knocking Seals out in the first round. Hagler was brought up tough. He was thrown in the deep end. And Hagler grew up without a father. So he fought all of his fights with a chip on his shoulder. Hagler was nasty in the ring. He was never given a break by anyone. And it showed in how he fought. It showed in his personality. When Hagler trained for a fight, he walled himself off. He went to a Spartan location no electricity, no entertainment, no wife, no children, nothing. He got up every day, seven days a week, went out, did his running, did his training, and did his sparring. And it just made him an incredible fighter with a will of steel. He refused to be beaten. Hagler fought first for the world middleweight title against Vito Antifermo in Vegas. And this is where Hagler developed his bad feelings for Vegas because they screwed him. I, I watched that fight. A lot of people watched the fight. I thought he beat Antifermo, beat him convincingly to win the title, but he got screwed by the judges in Vegas, and it was called a draw. And one of the things that happen in boxing often is you have to have enough pull or muscle in your corner or on your team, your managerial team, 
to keep the judges honest. And Hagler didn't have that. He had the Petronelli brothers, Goody and Pat, who were great, great trainers, and loved them like a son, but they didn't have the pull in the sport to keep people honest. And Hagler, as a result, had a lot of fights where he won, but they were closer than they, than they should have been. So we have Hagler progressing. He fights. Antifermo doesn't get a, the title. He's really, at that point, looked upon as the undisputed world middleweight champion, um, yet to hold the title. He's still the best middleweight in the world, but he just can't get a break. Finally, 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 he gets a chance against Britain's Alan Minter. Alan Minter had beaten Antifermo, who was a cutter or a bleeder. And when they fought in England, Hagler just... There was no artifice about him. He wasn't going to box him. There was going to be no feeling out period. Minter made some unfortunate comments about Hagler's skin color and Marvin, who always had on his baseball cap that he wore into the ring, destruct and destroy, went out to just annihilate him, to destroy him, to punish him, to hurt him. And he did. He just, he broke his nose. He bloodied his face. He just pounded the hell out of Minter. It was a one-sided victory stopped in the third round by the referee Hagler had achieved his goal he fell to the ring with his arms aloft he was now undisputably regardless of what anyone thought the single best middleweight fighter on the planet he was the world champion couldn't get the belt in Britain because all the fans 50,000 fans in attendance there started to throw bottles at him and all sorts of refuse beer cans and he just he had to be protected by a police guard. They hid under the ring, and then they went back into the dressing room. And then it wasn't until they got home that he actually got his official title. So that was a rather ignominious way to, to be declared champion. Ray Leonard was making his climb up the welterweight ladder to become world champion with Angelo Dundee's guidance. And the thing about Ray was, of course, earlier on in his career, there, he had a rival that he had yet to meet. And that was the great Thomas Hearns. Now, Ray Leonard's lawyer, Mike Trainer, wanted to have them fight in their 10th pro fight each for 50 grand apiece. And Angelo Dundee said that would be ridiculous. Let them both win a version of the World Wealth Authority title, and then they'll fight for millions, which is what happened down the road. So in 1979, in July, in Las Vegas at Caesars Palace, Ray Leonard challenged another Hall of Famer, the great Wilfredo Benitez, the radar, the man who was almost impossible to land a good flush shot on. He challenged him for the WBC welterweight title, and he stopped him in the 15th round. This may be the best fight I've ever seen. It was just an incredible match. It was raised to the level, raised boxing to the level of an art form. These guys were fantastic. Just the feints, the head feints, the shoulder feints, the footwork moving their head constantly, their hand speed, the way they put combinations together, the way they were able to anticipate what each other was going to do. It was like they were looking in a mirror and fighting each other. So Ray Leonard wins that. And then a year later, he takes on Manos de Piedra, Roberto Duran, the fabulous Roberto Duran. And Duran was a great fighter, great lightweight, and they didn't get parity. Leonard got eight, eight I think seven or 8 million to fight, and Duran got 1.5, and Duran was a lot like 
like a Hagler, he did. He thought, "Hey, I'm the lightweight champion in the world. I was fighting and was a world champion bef even before he fought in the Olympics. He'd won the lightweight title from Kenny Buchanan in 1971 in New York at Madison Square Garden." So Duran was angry, and Leonard made a mistake that he never made again when he fought him in Montreal, where he'd been the darling of the Olympics four years earlier. This was 1980. He let Duran get to him. He let Duran get under his skin, and Duran said the most horrible things to him about his wife and personal things and racial epithets and Leonard fought out of emotion. He fought Duran's fight, which was always a mistake to fight your, your opponent's fight because as the great Charlie Goldman said, the great trainer, no one makes a game in order to be beaten at it. No one invents their own game. So he fought Duran's fight and it cost him the title. It was a close fight. It, it went down to the last couple of rounds, but Duran won a unanimous decision. This is where the genius of of um, Angelo Dundee comes in. Angelo made a fight, a rematch with Duran. They had the rematch. Uh, six months later, he knew that Duran would be partying the whole time. He came into the fight. He, he lost all the weight, but he claimed that he had stomach cramps. He claimed that was the reason why he said no mas uh, in the eighth round. It's not really what he said. He said it later on. What he said is, I'm not going to fight with this clown if he won't stand in front of me and fight. And of course, Leonard outsmarted him, took away his macho, he embarrassed him, and he just outslicked him. He outboxed him, put everything over on Duran, stole his heart, stole his soul, quicker hands, quicker feet, and Duran just couldn't live up to that. He could not take a fighter outshining him in the ring. And he was just livid that Leonard would not fight his fight, would not come to him in a straight line. And it just doesn't make sense to do that because that was Duran's strength. So Leonard pulls off the victory. He vanquishes Duran. At this time, Hagler's cutting a wide swath like Sherman through Atlanta in the middleweight division. He destroys Fulgencio Obomehas. He fights uh, twice against Mustafa Heimshow and butchers him both times, especially the second time. By this time, Ray had retired from boxing. He'd had to detach retina and he was told by his ophthalmologist if he fought again, he could lose sight in the eye. So he retires and he's doing the color commentary on the fight between Hagler and Hamshow, the second fight. And he had a comment which really foretold what his future would be. And it showed how intelligent Ray was in the ring. There was a point where Hamshow was getting blasted by Hagler against the ropes, punch after punch in the face, in the body, and Hamshow's face was a mask of blood. And Tim Ryan, who was Canadian, by the way, said, well, you got to give Hamshow credit. He's got guts. And Ray Leonard said, well, Tim, in boxing, guts gets you killed. Smart wins you fights. And that essentially describes Ray Leonard's career in a nutshell. His ability to outthink, to use his brain power, which was his most potent weapon, to destroy whoever he was fighting, is what made him one of the all-time great fighters. So he watches, he's, while he's retired, he's following Hagler beat people, beating people, excuse me. And he watches the Duran fight. And Duran fights Hagler, and people think this will be an epic mismatch. There's no way he can beat Hagler. And Duran, going into the 15th round, is even with Hagler. Hagler wins the 15th and pulls out the fight. 
he wins. And people couldn't believe it was that close. But after the fight, Leonard, who's doing the color commentary, he's looking at the ring. Duran walks over and says to him, Ray, you box him, you beat him. And Ray had been hanging out with Hagler, been talking to him, and he realized that Hagler, and Hagler told him he's losing his will, he's losing his love of the sport. All this training, six, seven months, he would train like Marciano trained, just cutting himself off from the world, working himself into a tremendous hanger. And, and it took, it, he didn't want to give anyone a chance. Uh, Hagler didn't want to give anyone a chance, the judges or any fighter, to beat him. So he had to be at his best. And that's what it took for him to be at his best. Absolute isolation, training all day, every day. And Leonard was present when Hagler had uh, one fight in particular, which was his fight with John the Beast Mugabe. Mugabe was from Uganda, was trained and managed by the great British Britisher Mickey Duff. And Mugabe could fight. He was very powerful. He was essentially a junior middleweight at 154. But he came up and wait to fight Hagler, and he boxed him, and he was doing well. And he was trading hard shots with Hagler. But eventually, Hagler got to him and knocked him out in the 11th round. And there's a real uh, interesting, heart-wrenching moment when, where Mickey Duff runs to the side of the ring and says to Mugabe, stay down, don't get up, he will kill you if you do. And Mugabe stays down and takes the count. But Leonard, watching the fight, noticed that Mugabe was backing Hagler up at times. That had never been done before. Mugabe was landing a lot of shots, and that had never been done before in Hagler. And Hagler was missing shots, and that wasn't like Hagler to do that. And so even though in 1986 they had met and Leonard said he wasn't going to fight, again and ha and Hagler believed them he did announce that he was coming back for one fight and that fight was to challenge marvelous Marvin Hagler April 6 1987 at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas for the WBC world middleweight title and people were saying to him his brother Roger Leonard other people were saying so Ray who's your tune-up fight and he would say Hagler is my tune-up fight no 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 who are you going to fight before you fight him I'm not fighting anyone before I fight him the thing to remember here is Ray Leonard hadn't fought in three years. He didn't have the wear and tear on him that Hagler had on him. In the previous four years, Hagler had nine fights. That is a lot of ring wear. It's also important to remember Hagler had not lost in 11 years. This was a guy who was indomitable. He was just a guy you could not beat. His force of will, his ability to impose his will and his way of fighting on his opponents was you'd have to go back almost to Jack Dempsey or terrible Terry McGovern, the lightweight champ. There was Hagler was a champion for all time. I would rate him as the greatest middleweight champion of all time. So they have this fight, and during the fight, or excuse me, during the training camp, I'm getting ahead of myself here. During the training camp, uh, Ray Leonard was having trouble with Southpaws. Hagler was a Southpaw, supposedly. Leonard was having trouble with southpaws, and he got dropped by a southpaw in camp. And Angelo Dundee thought to himself, I wonder why he's, is he really a southpaw hackler, or is he a converted southpaw? So what Angelo did was he had a kid go get his autograph, went to Hagler's training camp, then came back and reported to him. And he's, the kid said, I got his autograph. And Angelo said, what hand did he sign with? He said, his right hand. And that's when Angelo thought, aha. That's when the light bulb went off above his head. He said, 
He's not a real Southpaw, he's a converted Southpaw. His power is in his right hand. He's fighting Southpaw to get his right hand closer to his opponent so he can do more damage with it. That's why he was fighting as a Southpaw. So in training camp, Leonard had been told to move to his left, which you do against a Southpaw, get away from his left hand, his power hand. And Angelo said, uh-uh, that's what they want you to think. You gotta move to your right, away from his right hand. And that's what he did. And it worked. So, Leonard's training, Hagler's training, they're ready for the fight. At ringside, one of the announcers was Gil Clancy, great trainer. He trained Kenny Buchanan, the former lightweight champion. He trained, eventually trained George Foreman, trained one of the all-time greatest fighters ever, pound for pound, Emil Griffith. And he was in the corner, or excuse me, he was doing the, the uh, analysis for the fight. So the fight starts, and I was watching this fight with a friend at Maple Leaf Gardens, and it was packed. And the gardens was pro-Hagler. I was pro-fight. I just wanted to see a great fight, because I like both, both guys. And in the first five rounds of the fight, mostly the first four rounds, but even in the fifth, Hagler was fighting orthodox. And Gil Clancy pointed out, and, he, and Hagler lost those rounds. Why is he doing this? This isn't how he normally fights. He's fighting as an orthodox fighter. He has his left hand forward. He's jabbing with his left. He's able to do it well, but not against Ray Leonard. Leonard is just too quick. And this is when Hagler starts calling him names, calls him a sissy and much worse names and Leonard's not going for it he's too savvy to go for that he knows that he can't stand in front of Hagler and fight him toe-to-toe -to -toe. and Angela Dundee told me that that was the original plan was to stand in front of Hagler and just use Leonard's superior hand speed to pot shot Hagler all night then use his feet really educated feet to get out of distance and Hagler be left punching at the wind but then they realized of course you know, if that doesn't work, you're going to have a bit of a problem if it doesn't dissuade Hagler because Hagler can punch and he's got crushing power in both hands. It's better because he was having trouble in some of his previous fights and he was slowing down to make him use his legs more and to make him try to punch Leonard while he was moving. One of the keys in the fight, regardless of who you thought was winning the fight or who won the fight, was... Angelo Dundee, Dundee at the negotiations wanted two things. Hagler's team just wanted the blue corner. That was it. They didn't care about anything else because they thought the fight's not going to go more than three or four rounds. Angelo Dundee went in with, with two demands, and he got them both. He wanted it to be a 12-round fight rather than 15, and he got that. And he told me that was nine minutes less that Leonard had to worry about. And so because of that, Leonard didn't have to fight the the uh, extra three rounds. And he just couldn't believe that the Petronellis um, uh, gave him that, you know. And so the fight starts, and they're going at it. And Leonard, I would say, won the first four rounds. So by winning the first four rounds, you turn it into an eight-round fight. And now, because it's an eight-round fight, you know, Leonard's only got to win four or five of those rounds 
to take the fight in the eyes of the judges. The, the mistake that Hagler's team made going into the fight was they each team was allowed to say, we don't want one particular judge. Angelo said, we have no problem with the judges. Hagler's team, out of spite, said, we don't want the British judge because how we were treated in England when we beat Minter for the title. But that had nothing to do with the British judge, Harry Gibbs, who was a well-respected and outstanding judge. And so he was replaced with Jojo Guerra. Harry Gibbs went home to Britain, watched a fight on TV, scored it for Hagler. So the fight is now, in the first one to four rounds, you got to give it to Leonard. Hagler catches up with Leonard and hurts him in the fifth round with an uppercut. He finally turns southpaw. But Leonard's still too, too quick, and he's pot-shotting him. And Leonard has the old alley trick that he uses to rally at the end of each round. No, that's 30 seconds to a minute, and people say it's to steal the round. Whether it stole the round for him or not, we can debate that forever. The fact is, it's a boxing strategy that a lot of fighters use, and it worked. It had Ray win the round. What, what some people didn't like was they said it convinced judges that he won rounds that he didn't really win. But that's not up to Ray. That's up to the judges. And it was a smart way to fight. He wouldn't engage Marvin at his own fight. He made Marvin chase him. And... The other thing Angelo mentioned, and he kept saying to Ray, you're the bigger man, right? He's 5'9 and a half. You're 5'10 and a half. You're just under 5'11. You're bigger than him. You're stronger than him. Rough him up. And he did. And he would push Hagler back when Hagler were getting close. No one had done that to Hagler before. Hagler had a habit when he would fight someone. If he was in a clinch and the referee broke it up, Hagler would take a semicircle walk five feet away, hitch up his trunks, and then reset himself. And Len and Dundee said to Ray, don't let him do that. When he walks away like that, jump on him, whack him. And you could hear Angelo saying that during the fight. Don't let him get away with it, Ray. Whack him. And he kept yelling out, faint this sucker, faint him. And Ray was doing that through the whole fight. He was, do he was fainting him. He wouldn't let him take time off in the ring. And he kept scoring points and piling up points. And Hagler was trying to take him out with one shot. Hagler kept thinking, eventually I will catch him and I will hurt him and I will get rid of him. But he didn't do it. When the fight ended, I thought Hagler had won. I really did. I thought Hagler had won. And I was surprised when they gave it to Ray Leonard. But I've watched that fight several hundred times. And I would have to say in the past year or so, watching it again and again, I said to myself, you know what? I think Ray won. I think Ray outsmarted him, fought a better fight. Ray landed more punches than Hagler did. But then again, punch stats are misleading because they're not, they don't really tell the whole tale of a fight. And sometimes a, uh, a fighter can land the majority of his punches in only two or three or four rounds, and it comes out overall as landing more punches. I think Ray Leonard was just quicker than him that night. Hagler was slowing down. The controversy in the fight came with the scoring. So one judge has it 115-113 Hagler, the other judge 115-113 Ray Leonard, and the judge who replaced Harry Gibbs, who back in England scored the fight for Hagler, Jojo Guerra, who had no big fight experience at all, scored it 118 Leonard 118 
for one Chan Hagler. And that was just preposterous. It was a joke. There was no way this person should have been licensed to referee the fight or to judge the fight, excuse me. And even Angelo said next day at the press conference, Guerra was somewhere else, but he certainly wasn't here at Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas for that fight. He was completely glued out. I think it was a close fight. I think Ray did shade him at the end and, and won the fight, but the controversy still remains to this day who you think won the fight. And everyone has their own opinion, but it's hard to say, but you could have, I would have been happy either way. You know, if it went to Hagler, I could say, okay, I could see that because the fight was that close. And the rule in boxing is you have to really either knock the champion down or, or dominate him so completely in every round that there's no way the judges cannot give you the fight. And that didn't happen. Ray was winning rounds and he had some rounds that he did win by a certain margin, but neither fighter dominated each other. It was very close in every round, but once again, speed never slumps. And it was Ray's hand speed and foot speed and his ability to keep moving his head and using his mobility to keep circling Hagler, keep forcing Hagler to reset himself over and over and over again that made him the victor that gave him the WBC world middleweight title. And as a result, Hagler quit. He said, you know, Vegas, and he never fought again. Hagler was only 33 years old. Leonard was 31. Hagler was still a young man, but he refused to ever fight again. He never entered the ring again. He said, that is the last time you will ever get me. And he meant it. Leonard never defended the WBC world middleweight title, and he went on to fight, and he fought and beat Canada's Donnie Lalon for the WBC light heavyweight title. And he had uh, five more fights after that. He went two, two, and one, and he drew with uh, Thomas Hearns. He lost to stop by Hector Camacho in his very last fight, and he lost to uh, Terry Norris, and, and he fought Duran again and, and beat him easily. But Hagler Leonard still a fight that fight fans still talk about. April 6th will be the 35th anniversary of that fight. Um, I saw them together quite a bit at the Boxing Hall of Fame in Canastota, New York. When I saw Hagler, when I first met him, when Angela Dundee introduced me, I said to Hagler, I think you won the fight. And Angelo tapped me on the shoulder and said, whose side are you on? Because Angelo was like a, a father to me. And, um, Hagler says, everyone knows I won that fight. So I saw pictures of them together when they were friendly. And they were friendly at times. Marvin and Ray were friendly. But Hagler, sadly, who was no longer with us and who I rate, I rate Hagler as the greatest middleweight champion of all time. You can't say who would win in a fantasy fight with Carlos Monzon, but I think Hagler would have beaten him. I think he would have walked through Monzon. I think Monzon was just too slow to beat a guy like Hagler. And Ray, and I think Ray Robinson and Hagler would have been a great fight, but I would always bet on Hagler. And I bet on Hagler in the Leonard fight and, and lost money on that. So one of the all-time great fights, one of my favorite fights. If you people have not seen that fight, go to YouTube, watch Ray Leonard, Marvin Hagler. This is boxing at its best. I'm Lou Eisen, and this has been Ring Talk. Thank you for watching, and we'll see you again next week.